We are a multicultural family who recently made the transition from Los Angeles, California to the island of Sardinia, Italy. Follow us in our upcoming endeavors as we branch out to become farmers and the entrepreneurs of an agriturismo and educational farm. The only thing is, we're city folk. We don't know what we're getting into. So come back often and follow us in our adventures as we learn the ups and downs of becoming brand new farmers and branch out and evolve as both a family and members of the community. Welcome to this podcast. I'm Stacey Abate. I am your host, and this is A Spice of Life. Hi, my name is Stacey Abate, and I am your host for this podcast entitled Spice of Life, Building a Farm in Sardinia, Italy. This is my very first episode, and I would like to make it an introductory one because I feel that there are are a lot of explanations that will better um, paint the picture of how my family became the type of family that would move from city life to the farm lifestyle. Let's start with me, since I will be your host from here on out. Um, I am American. I was born and raised in a very small rural town in northeastern Pennsylvania in the heart of the Poconos. And um, although there were plenty of farmlands around us, my family never owned a farm. However, we did enjoy spending time on the free, wide, vast open spaces of our friend's farm. And we did have about a half acre to an acre of property in our backyard in which to play as children. It was the typical life that you envision of a rural family in the 1980s. When I grew up and turned, I suppose I was 20, 21, 21, I think around then, um, I decided to leave that lifestyle behind because I wanted to grow. I wanted to grow spiritually. I wanted to um, focus on more opportunity. I wanted to see how people lived in the city culture. And there was one city culture that I was predominantly interested in, and that was Los Angeles, California. I also (laughs) needed to get out of this severe depression that plagued myself and a lot of other people that comes with living in a place in the mountains of Pennsylvania. And that is the gray sky, um, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the gray sky disease, (laughs) I suppose. When it's always raining and the winters are very long and seem like they're never going to end and the snow turns black from the cinder trucks that come by and uh, scatter the ash on the roads and the snow piles that bury your cars in. It's, it's, it's extra work just to leave for work in the morning. And it wasn't my thing. I am a summer baby. I was born in June. And so I like warm, sunny places. And so I decided to move to Los Angeles. And I spent about 20 years there. And it was always, it always felt like home. But I think I was still restless and my anxieties and depression followed me there because it extends a little bit um, more deeply rooted, I suppose, than just your environment sometimes. And 
by the time I reached my mid to late 30s, I was ready to settle down. Now, one of the problems with settling down in Los Angeles is that it is incredibly difficult. Literally, I view Los Angeles as the youthful playground. Um, beautiful people, people who take very good care of each other and themselves, of themselves. And uh, the dating cesspool there is, <laughs> let's just say it doesn't evolve past dating and playing, right? So I was looking to settle down and have a family. And I started to realize I'm not, I may not find that here. I'm going to have to probably return to a more simplistic form of life. Um, but I didn't know how to do that. And I needed to find the right kind of person. And I didn't know where I was going to find that person. Because I felt like if most of the guys in L.A. just wanted play toys with the girls. And I was, you know, approaching 40 and wanted to settle down and have children. I did not think I was going to find that kind of man there. It wasn't looking very promising. And then eventually what happened was is that I found my husband <laughs> and rather quickly I began to do some serious inside soul searching and then I decided to change my game plan. No more Tinder, no more of these ridiculous sites where people are not serious, where it's free and they can just you know, do their one night stand and all that sort of thing. You know, everyone knows Tinder is a hookup site now. Well, <laughs> I guess my ignorant self or my naive self thought of it as a more serious platform to where I could find somebody who seriously wanted the same things that I did. And I came up empty handed and sorely disappointed time after time after time. I did join a website, but it was a paid site. And I thought to myself, that the people with all of these free platforms around for dating that if you um, if you were willing to pay for a site with all of those others available that you um, were possibly more serious about finding someone like-minded who wants a serious committed relationship and lo and behold it didn't take me very long at all to find several candidates, several men who were really good guys. But I met my, um, my now husband there and um, we fell in love before we even met. We exchanged text messages continuously around the clock for a whole weekend before we even met. I just knew that sparks would fly if we sat down at a table across from one another for the first time. And sure enough, that is exactly what happened. He was the most unlikely person. I had this stigma about Italian men. I grew up on the East Coast, mind you, so I knew a lot of Italian-American men. And in fact, the nearest city to my small hometown um, was founded on mafia money many, many moons ago. So there were a lot of Italian-American culture there and a lot of Italian-American men and my sensitive self did not mesh with them. So I always told myself, stay away, stay away, stay away. So I formed this stigma about Italian men. As it turned out, my husband <laughs> is Italian. And he didn't have a lot of um, check marks in his favor uh, when I first met him. Um, there was that. There was the fact that he was a musician, and I had dated my fair share of musicians in Italy. 
So just then my doorbell rang because it was the post. And see, this is exactly how my husband is. Um, <laughs> I once showed him a few days ago. He's been, he's been in the States actually working. And I showed him these salt and pepper shakers shaped like little sheep because I'm obsessed with sheep. And I didn't, like, think that he would buy them. <laughs> and he did. And he had them sent here, and they just got delivered. And it was such a beautiful surprise as Easter is, is coming up, too. So that was very cute. Okay. Going back to my story. <laughs> um, my husband was a musician, and I had done my fair share of uh, dating musicians in the Los Angeles area. And that didn't go well either. So he had um, the fact that he was a musician against him, he had the fact that he was Italian against him, and then he was younger than me. And you know, what I found in LA is that it was hard enough to date men my own age or older because they'd already been married and with kids and you know, didn't really wanna go the route of settling down again. Um, but then the younger guys are just there to play. They're like, hey, I just arrived in LA, I'm here to play and have fun. Well, as it turned out, my husband wasn't that such guy. He wasn't typical of anyone. And I found out that it was because of his Sardinian roots, okay? He's not from the boot, he's not from mainland Italy. He's from the island of Sardinia, which is the second largest island in the Mediterranean after Sicily. And I didn't know that this place existed. I knew absolutely nothing about it. And then I started doing some research and I, I was like, wow, this is like paradise. Why on earth did this man move to, <laughs> to LA? Well, because he's a musician, of course. So um, that is how we came to meet. And as I've mentioned, our very first dinner just went over so well. We fell completely in love. We were engaged two months later, pregnant the, a month after that. <laughs> and then we married several months after that. And we are just about to celebrate our fifth wedding anniversary. And things are still going really, really wonderful in our life. Um, our little boy is <laughs> crazy and a pain, <laughs> but he's a typical little boy and we feel that we are so blessed because so far we got a lot of the things that we really wanted in life, but we didn't anticipate what would come next. We didn't have plans to move to Italy, but we did. Um, and I have a huge long list as to the reasons why I wanted to raise my child here as opposed to America. And so we moved here three years ago and we've had nothing but challenge after challenge after challenge. I'm speaking flooded basements five times in a year, always when my husband is away in America on a business trip. I'm not completely fluent in Italian yet, so um, it's very difficult to kind of navigate those types of things or when the child needs health care or uh, when I'm really frightened because his fever is extremely high. And then I found myself several times rushing him in the middle of the night to um, Pronto Secorso, which is the uh, emergency room here. When you don't speak Italian very well, that is a very difficult situation to navigate yourself through um, by attempting to communicate with people about the, the health of your son, what you are um, instructed to do, um, giving identification and the tessera di sanitaria, which is the, the health card, like all of these different things. And it is quite stressful in foreign territory when you are a woman who doesn't speak the language hardly at all and, um, and you're alone. <laughs> so 
these are some of the challenges that happen with being an expat or an implant, as I guess you can say, or transplant, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> um, a transplant um, into a foreign territory. But I love this place and I'm bound and determined to make it work because I've fallen in love with the people and I've fallen in love with um, the environment and the culture and there is, you're surrounded by some very beautiful villages but then also some pretty cities and um, some gorgeous, gorgeous coastline. I mean, we're an island and we're a large island so there, is, there are so many beautiful destinations. Most of the Europeans, in fact, do spend their vacations here. It's, it's quite a popular vacation destination. We bank most of our money off of tourism here. So there are a lot of things called agriturismi. An agriturismo is basically a uh, working farm that hosts usually um, stay accommodations as well as a restaurant. And anything and everything that are served at the restaurant will be products, generally speaking, or for the most part, from your land. So um, if you grow the tomatoes and the grain for the pasta, Sardinia is known for its fresh pasta. If you go to an agriturismo restaurant, you will not have pasta that has been packaged and sold in a bag that you easily dump in water. You will have fresh homemade pasta. So very much the old school way. And my husband has really been fond of the idea of these agriturismo because it's a very, very great way to sustain your farm. And I am the one who dreams about the farm. I want animals. I want crops. I want a giant backyard for my son. I want to teach my son how to work hard and uh, grow the things that we eat from the land. So we had to find some sort of a financial solution um, as to become homesteaders, uh, something that would support that. One of the other issues that you have here is that the agricultural farmlands are very heavily controlled um, in that you are only permitted to grow to uh, raise structures homes meaning or build a house on your property up to a certain size depending on how much farmland you own um, there are some wonderful grants that you can get from the Italian government in particular in particularly myself because I'm a woman in business um, in order to help pay for some of the land or maybe some of the startup costs such as equipment um, and so we just started racking our brains and my husband being the business entrepreneur um, my, having that mindset he wanted the agriturismo and I said well I want nothing to do with the agriturismo I am so not into the restaurant and hotel industry mindset I can't possibly focus not one minute of my attention on that side of the business if I am going to be the one you know cultivating and sustaining the land and the animal husbandry and obviously this is such a gigantic project and we have so many ideas that I'm sure we're going to be blindsided by reality as we enter this scenario um, we're going to have to have help <laughs> and that's going to cost money uh, the beauty is is that we are um, providing 
jobs for the local people and my husband is a local person so that means a lot to us because one of the things that are severely lacking in all of Italy and in particularly Sardinia is the lack of work and that's why we're losing a lot of our younger population who are seeking to learn English because it's not heavily taught or known here in these parts and these kids are knowing the um, they're, they're understanding and recognizing the need for this so that they can either venture out and get better jobs which is sad because it means that we are losing them or for those who are very into the idea of wanting to better support local tourism um, because even though we get a lot of people from France and a lot of people from Germany and a lot of people from Spain here they all speak English because it's very um, it, it's very focused on and taught and important to their cultures to learn this second language of English and it's just not so much here in Sardinia and I will mention Sardinia as a separate entity from Italy a lot because we are so very very different here Sardinia is considered a wild island because we still have a lot of wildlife um, our beaches are for the most part extremely pristine our countrysides are as well um, people are sporadic there isn't a huge population in fact we have more sheep on our island than we do people and um, <laughs> Uh, the thing about sheep is you all have these visions from when you're watching um, a movie that takes place in say either Tuscany or the Amalfi Coast and you're driving along the road and boom you hit a roadblock it's a shepherd and all of his crazy sheep walking down the road and you must pull over and allow for them to pass before you can continue on well that is extremely common in Sardinia we have more sheep probably than a lot of these various parts of Italy. Sardinia, <laughs> and many Americans don't even know that Sardinia exists or what the island is about. If you've ever had a pecorino cheese, a fine pecorino cheese, you must understand and know that about 80% of the world's finest pecorino cheeses come from this island. It comes from our sheep. So the sheep industry would probably be the second most profitable industry for the island of Sardinia, um, falling slightly behind tourism. And it is because they still raise our sheep the old way. Our sheep that produce the pecorino cheeses are hair sheep. So they are not good sheep for wool. Um, and they are, they are not only produced, or sorry, they are not only raised for the production of sheep's milk, which goes into our, our pecorino production, but they are also raised for meat. So they make a really great meat um, sh sheep or a, a really great uh, milk sheep. They are predominantly kept, though, for this milk. Our pastore, which are the shepherds, that's the word for shepherds in Italian, they consider sheep's milk like gold and so it is a huge part of our culture here anywhere you go into any tourism shop you will find postcards mouse pads uh, books um, salt and pepper shakers little bells like the typical touristy things that you might buy like a souvenir and you will find tons of them 
with the theme or the drawing or the hand painting of a sheep because we are so well known for that. That's our thing. So it's quite amazing that a lot of times you may not know where a particular location in the world is, maybe you've never heard of it, but you have for sure had fresh pecorino cheese and enjoyed it, and you probably never realized it came from that little part of the world that you never even heard of. And then when you open your eyes to the par that part of the world and you start to do like Google searches and you start to research this land, you find, holy crap, it is chock full of culture and the people are beautiful and they are hospitable and they are just so wonderful. So needless to say, I am completely in love with Sardinia. I'm here to stay. <laughs> I think in, my, in the last, let's see, 20... For years, I've moved almost 30 times <laughs> and I'm finished with moving. I'm over that. So once we move on to our farm property, I plan to die there. <laughs> so this is going to be an interesting journey because as I speak with the local um, authorities and the local um, architects about how I want this space built upon and what I want my home to look like and what I want the agriturismo to look like and where the animals are going to go. If there's any glitch in the system or a miscommunication, um, I start to get a little anxiety ridden about it because I have such a purely detailed vision, right, about what I want for this property. And I'm nervous about it. I'm so nervous about it. Um, one of the things about Italy and Sardinia is that it's not like America. It's, we don't have this business um, comp competitive nature. Okay? In America, we are um, a culture that is extremely, um, we seek immediate gratification because it's, a, it's been our culture for so long. It's always been an, a booming, evolving business enterprise. Our, our country and so one person is in competition with the next with the next with the ne we have options right so if one person it's not a good fit from a business relationship we'll move on if um, if we don't get a good estimate that we're happy with we'll move on to the next guy and if someone's not doing their job adequately or they're not showing up on time or they're not working fast enough for us we go to the guy who is faster right like that's just the American mentality you cannot have that here <laughs> you have to practice patience and that is one of the hardest lessons I've ever had to learn it started with just um, understanding that I can't go to uh, the clothing store during lunch hours <laughs> so between the hours of maybe 12 noon or 1 until 4.35 o'clock, they're closed. <laughs> they're closed for lunch. They go home to their family, take a walk by the beach, have a little aperitivo, a little coffee, or a little, a little beer at the bar, a little glass of wine, or a uh, spremuta, or, um, or a spritz, and they don't open back up again until the evening hours. And so that was the hardest slap in the face that I ever had to get past that I had to realize things are not immediately available to me here you have to plan things out a little better 
you can't walk into a shop. Okay, I'm a crafter. Um, I walk into a craft shop where they sell, say, fabrics and um, uh, embroidery floss, needles, um, ribbons, all that kind of stuff, right? Buttons, all that kind of thing. It's not like walking into a corporate-sized store like Joanne's Fabrics or Michael's or Hobby Lobby in the States. You don't walk into this giant warehouse and know automatically where to go to get everything. You help yourself and go stand in line. It's not like that here. I've walked in so many times saying to my husband, I can't find what I need here. This is not good. I told you this is the one thing that made me nervous about moving here is that I can't find what I need here <laughs> to do my crafts. And that's a bad thing. Well, I finally started realizing you need to ask, do you have this? And every time I would say, do you have this to someone? I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, sure, yeah. Hold on one second. Let me go to the back and bring you back a few, bring you out a few examples to look at. <laughs> and I was just shocked. Not only did they usually always have what I wanted or what I needed, but they had a huge supply of it and they had um, good quality stuff. Maybe not so many different brands or options, but the only brands they carry here are high quality. So something maybe imported from Spain or Germany or made in Italy. And these are always the finest things. So I had to kind of get over that idea. So my husband and I sat down, I said, look, I want, because he, he's adopted the American mentality, okay? He likes to go with the quickest bidder, the best bid. You know, he, he wants stuff to happen yesterday and he expects immediate gratification because he, he'd been living in America, I think for about 10 years now. Well, maybe it's a little more than that, 12 years, 13 years. And um, so he's really adopted the American He's been spoiled <laughs> with the American instant gratification in the world of business and competition. And it's so frustrating to us here because sometimes maybe we'll need a job to be done and we will throw money at people, more money than they'll ever see from another Sardinia. And they'll be like, you know, I just can't today. <laughs> and I'm like, you're going to turn down the opportunity for to make this kind of money. You'll never get this kind of money from anyone else for this job. Uh, you know, it's, that's the mentality. Um, it's also the reason why Sardinia boasts the world's most uh, amount of centennials still living and thriving, actively thriving on the island. Because this sense of no stress, no rush, relax, enjoy your work, enjoy your friends and your family and your food, and the job will get done. <laughs> That's just the laid back personality that they have. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to move here was to partake in this culture of anti-stress. Just enjoy life and you will enjoy all things. Work, people, connections, all of these things. Every step that you take, <laughs> you will enjoy if you just relax. Tranquilla. <laughs> So we went into this project knowing that it's not going to happen overnight when you're relying on so many other people to get things done and perhaps you don't have as great amount of options out there due to the lack of competition in business. Um, we were going to have to buckle down and um, be patient. And let me tell you, we have been extremely patient. So let's move on to the property. 
we have been searching for a property to build a home on with lots of land so I could cultivate a beautiful garden and have animals. That was the original plan. We were not thinking about an agriturismo quite so strong, but we were keeping it in the back of our minds that this could be an option and it could be a, a viable option to help us sustain my hobby farm, my homestead. And so we kind of pushed it behind us. We looked at a property that we fell in love with because it had an amazing location. It already had three structures on the land, all three of which could suffice as living quarters. So we knew we also wanted to have perhaps a guest house for whomever might be our main farmhand or whatever. And so um, there was another bidder before us and things were moving super slowly with this guy. We were told by the um, owner of the property that, you know, he didn't think this guy was going to really bite the bullet and finalize things and go through with it all, but he had a contract with him that he would not sell to anyone else for three months. Well, I suppose this guy worked on uh, finding the finances and finalizing things. And we were told that he had until, say, January, and this was years ago and we kept almost harassing this guy like tell us tell us what's going on what do you know now what do you know now we really wanted the property and um, we we surpassed the date where where the original buyer needed to finalize things and so we thought that we had some ray of hope that we were going to get this property and it just turned out that um, the owner of the property uh, honored the the you know the, the the agreement with this man and he ev eventually did come through so we lost that property and it was really sad because we were very excited about it and we thought this property we can see ourselves living here absolutely I will admit I did have a few concerns here or there I was I, I wasn't very happy with the size of the house I'm American I wanted a little bit larger of a house um, I wasn't very excited that there was an exposed well which could pose a danger to my young son playing in the yard. Um, and that's, that's really about it. I mean, very minor things, you know, we, we already, we really wanted the place. Um, but you know, I told my husband, it wasn't for us, it, it wasn't our property. We thought it was, but we were wrong, and we, we need to trust the universe. We heavily believe in the law of attraction. And we believe in trusting the universe. And I said, look, the universe is going to put the right thing in our hands. And that's that. And then surely enough, about uh, six to eight months later, some friends of ours told us of a larger property for Eteris, which is approximately 12 acres, um, a little further out, but still very conveniently close to town because that's where I'll be having to drive my son to school every day. Um, Luckily enough, there are two garden centers on that same stretch of road, literally a two-minute drive from the house, and we would be conveniently located to the major thoroughfare to take us to the major city where my husband flies into when he returns home from America. So um, in reality, it would be a much quicker jaunt to go back and forth um, from the airport. So I just, I love that idea of convenience as well. Um, it already consists of 275 adult and fully producing olive trees 
there is a gigantic field where it, um, we've chosen the location to build our residence and the guest house and a recording studio for my husband um, and plenty of room for you know play toys out in the backyard swing sets um, trampoline and even a, a, an amazing gorgeous personal garden um, to the side of the olive trees we have more um, agricultural space for planting crops one of my goals is to possibly plant uh, some lavender lavender grows really well here and I'd really like to get into essential oils making and um, perhaps maybe some um, naturally infused uh, goat's milk soaps in the future so that space could be reserved for both this type of agriculture and that's where we're going to put our agriturismo and our I told my husband I don't like a lot of the agriturismi around here because they're shaped like a square U so basically three sides it just reminds me of the typical cheap motel <laughs> in America even though it doesn't look like a cheap motel it's you know completely with the Spanish style uh, terracotta uh, roofing and very beautiful but to me I, just, I don't like square things I'm a woman I like round sculpted things even the pool I do not want a, um, a rectangular pool I want like more of a lima bean shaped pool with you know maybe some beautiful rocks and a little naturally um, flowing waterfall or whatever to kind of get the water going like I really want um, a beautiful pool. I'd like that to be quite um, an important attraction to our agriturismo. Um, there is a vineyard also on the property. We had to literally ask the agronimo, which is the agricultural expert in town, to look up the files on this property to make sure that that vineyard was registered. We, you need to register a vineyard if you're planning to make um, wines or anything like that from a vineyard crop and he did uh, verify for us that it has been registered. So um, the only problem with it is, is that I've noticed it definitely has the, um, those little pests that are quite common to vines, um, grape vines in particular. And I can't pronounce it, <laughs> but they are gross and ugly and I did notice them on the leaves. So basically we are going to have to rip that vineyard out. We're going to have to possibly treat the soil, um, get it all nice and flat again, get it all churned up, um, test the uh, pH of our soil, do what we might need to do um, in order to balance that better. And then I've been doing some research and I told my husband, well, it looks like we're going to have to buy grafted vines because supposedly these grafted vines um, also help prevent these types of uh, these specific type of, of lice of louse um, that attacks these vines and the problem with them is is that not only do they just wreak havoc on your leaves but they burrow into the ground and they'll eat up your root system as well and we don't want to mess with that some of the research I've done indicates that most vineyards most vineyards start with their grafted root systems or grafted vines when they first plant them. That tells me that ours was probably not grafted. Who knows how long that vineyard has been there. So um, one of the reasons why is supposedly there was this, back in the 1800s, 
supposedly there was this vine, grapevine lice, louse, that was somehow transported to Europe. And the European vines could not um, naturally uh, wipe them out or, or, um, or avoid uh, infestation by these things. So what they ended up doing was they took the um, American types of root systems from the American vines and they grafted them onto the upper portion of the European vines, the different varieties that we have here that we, we are so famously known for. Um, and they're able to graft them so that the root system is a little bit more hardy and a little bit more resistant to these lice. And, um, but we can still grow our um, varieties of grapes without too much interference um, in terms of um, the flavor and the color and the quality for excellent wine production. So I am doing a lot of homework and I, I tell you, I know nothing. We are going into this completely, completely ignorant. <laughs> we know nothing about what we're doing. And we know darn straight that we are going to just dive head first and make so many mistakes. But myself being the planner that I am, I'm really hoping to try to avoid unnecessary mistakes. If it's something that I can research now and learn from other uh, farmers and, and first time homesteaders and things like that. Um, as well as the experts. I'm certainly uh, diving into the, the expert panels and, and such as well to sort of learn my terminology and to learn the best ways of going about things. I've already changed my mind on a lot of things um, based on what some of my original ideas were and I realized, you know what, that's just not going to be viable or that's not going to work in this location or I think I need to rethink this type of animal. I think maybe I'll have less of this animal and more of this one. And the brainstorming has been keeping me up at night. And I guess, I guess it's good <laughs> that we're waiting still to get onto this property and break ground because it's giving me an opportunity to study up. So um, it should be quite an adventure. So as I've mentioned, we're going to have some animals. We're going to have an agriturismo. Um, we're going to live on the property. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and, uh, and we're also going to um, use the farm as a fattoria didattica. My plans, and I still need to do more research on this, so please leave me a comment if you know anything about this. But my plans are to have a no-kill uh, animal husbandry situation. I don't know how well that's going to work for me because I would like to have lambs born on the property and I can't see that I would have too much of a need for rams, which brings me to the idea that when baby rams are born and raised up, if they really pose no purpose on my property, and I know that rams can, can grow up to be quite... Um, quite aggressive animals, okay? There's the option of keeping them as a weather, of course, or what if I just have a ram that's so aggressive that I can't have this fattoria didactica, which is basically an educational farm where you invite schools to come out and children to learn about caring for animals and allow them to touch and help feed 
the animals and interact with them. If I have a ram that's not going to be good with children, I have no need for him on my farm. And I do not want to knowingly sell an animal for slaughter. Obviously, no slaughtering will be ha happening on my property. And I don't like the idea of profiting from the death of another animal. It's just my way of thinking. I know a lot of farmers and homesteaders are going to scoff at me, and that's perfectly fine. I don't tell anybody else what to put on their plate, and I don't tell anybody else what to do on their farm. You do you. If you like the meat industry and that's your thing and you choose to consume it and you choose to profit off of it, that's you. I would never tell anybody else what to do with their lifestyle and their life. I would love to have the same kind of respect in the regard that this is just not something I want on my land. So I'm a little worried, I'm a little concerned as to how I can work these strategies out and deal with possible issues should they arise that might end up leading to me accidentally or even intentionally selling an animal or giving him away full well knowing that his destiny is to wind up in the slaughterhouse. It, I would just be, I would be devastated. I wouldn't be able to handle it. <laughs> so um, I'm not vegan. I do not plan to raise my farm as a vegan plant-based farm, but I'm not, I'm also not in the meat industry. Like that's not my interest at all, never for my animals. They're going to be hopefully pets I want to raise them in a way that will keep them gentle and docile with people so that I can continue operating a, an educational farm with children and people with disabilities and normal folks who just want to come um, to experience the farm. And I apologize, I don't want to say normal folks, that's, that's not an appropriate word, um, but I suppose when I say normal folks, I mean people who are not children or who are not there um, with, a, with an educational-based uh, entity. So for instance, um, I don't know, maybe a local would like to just come and see some animals and check out the property. Well, sure, come for the day. You know, that's what I pretty much mean there. So I didn't mean to, um, <laughs> I didn't mean to put that word out there. Um, so that's the plan. This is my introductory podcast. I hope it wasn't too boring. Um, my head is spinning in a gazillion different directions, so I really did try <laughs> to uh, give you sort of a step-by-step -step process to show you how we came from where we came from and what our future plans are for this um, huge undertaking of a project. And I invite everyone to follow the podcast, follow my YouTube channel, and check in on the blog. Um, so that, uh, I don't know, maybe you can just kind of see what our trials and tribulations are, maybe learn from it if you're interested in homesteading yourself, um, and just follow our progress and, uh, and help encourage us maybe <laughs> walk us through this incredible undertaking that will most, like, most definitely be um, the most enlightening part of our lives. So um, thank you, and until next time, I'm Stacy with A Spice of Life.